Sunday, January the 16th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Oh man, if uh, you will leave the grave behind, then so will I. Isn't that a brilliant truth? My lighthouse, you will lead me safe to shore. It's in that confidence that we journey together through this uh, coming week. I'm, I'm so encouraged by the, the so many wonderful things that so many of uh, you, us, are doing in this journey of uh, give up, take up, and uh, join uh, wonderful things happening all over our Burlington family. And uh, I hope you've seen church members in the email just a few days ago. Uh, we're on track with our plans to, to pray in this church every morning at 6.30 this week and next week with Ipswich International Church. I'd love to encourage you to be here in person. You can also be online if you can't make it here. And we're particularly praying that this place would, more than we've ever known it, become what has often been known through church history as a thin place. You know those places where you go and heaven just feels near. We want to pray like they did in the Old Testament, that God's glory, God's presence, his Shekinah glory and presence would fall afresh in this place because his presence changes everything. 6.30 every morning. Friday, 7.30 in the evening here as well, worship and prayer. Last week, we had the word abide. This week, our word is align, looking at John chapter 15. Please have that open in front of you in your Bible, on your phone or tablet, whatever you're using. John chapter 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John went to bed with their trousers on. It's in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. Uh, And... uh, Uh, We're going to pick up some uh, thoughts in those verses that are part of Jesus' final words. I mean, Jesus Jesus didn't waste his words, did he? Do you know, he said to the the kind of uh, 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 the man in the tomb, Lazarus, come out. Do you know, you couldn't get more of a uh, a less wordy prayer than that. Um, We normally get a few lords in, don't we, before we get to the point, Lord, you know that, Lord, you know the Lord, Lord, Lord. But he's just right to it, in there, and uh, he doesn't mess about with extra words, uh, yet these are his final words. And so we linger in them through these three weeks. Some of the things that Jesus left with us before he went into heaven. We're going to dive straight in at verse 2. Here we go. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Look at that first phrase. He cuts off every branch. Who are the branches? Jesus is the vine, it says. We are the branches. He cuts off off 
the branches. He, he's talking to disciples. He's talking to us. Christians can be cut off. Yikes. I wasn't expecting that. We can be cut off. Now, we interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. It's a, a primary hermeneutical principle. It's the primary way we understand what an individual text or context is saying by looking at it in its original context and looking at what other light um, uh, Scripture sheds on it. So this does not mean we are not saved. It does not mean we are no longer his children. It does not mean that we will be banished from his family. But we can be cut off from Jesus in terms of fruit bearing. No contradiction to the message that God never gives up on us and that there is always a way back, but we can be cut off in this sense of fruit bearing. It's not the only time we hear Jesus talking like this, is it? Uh, We know uh, in, in Revelation, At the end of the Bible, when Jesus speaks to seven churches and he says very, uh, perhaps we might think, uncharacteristic, so I'm just going to spit you out. I'm kind of done with you. If you were were cold, then I could try and warm you up, but you're just all over the shop. You're not bearing any fruit. I'm done with you, so I will spit you out of my mouth. Or perhaps one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 59. God is looking for one person in a whole nation. He's looking for one person that will stand in the gap, that will bear fruit. In a a particular time in history when everything was falling apart, you might say, well, isn't that just like our day? Everything's falling apart. And God's looking for one person. And do you know what it said? It said that he saw that there was... No one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Can you imagine? There's no one to bear fruit. What if you are the branch that Jesus is depending on at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, at the sports club, and you've been cut off? Jesus is looking and there's no one. One of the, the great insights that struck with me through the whole week was at the first prayer meeting uh, last Monday morning when someone said what is obvious, but it kind of, you know, sometimes it strikes you uh, anew that Jesus doesn't bear fruit by himself. He chooses, he only bears fruit through his branches. And if his branches aren't bearing fruit, in theological terms, Jesus is stuffed when it comes to fruit bearing. Because that's how he chooses to work. Imagine being a part of a church that has been cut off because it's no longer bearing fruit. It could be a busy church, a full church, a financially viable church, a, a vibrant gathering type church, good music type church. But if there is no fruit of a Christ-like community, looking more like Jesus, disciples making disciples, the Lord adding to their number, kingdom transformation taking place. It might just be that they were cut off years ago and nobody even noticed. Ah! So remember, this message gets repeated, as I said, in Revelation. So here at the end of the Gospels, Jesus' final words, the final words at the end of the Bible are saying the same thing. Maybe God's trying to tell us something, get our attention. But hang on, there's another option. Do I get a cheer? 
Would you prefer another option than the cut off one? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The other option is to get yourself pruned. Why does a branch get dead? It gets dead because it got sick and it never got pruned. Or in fact, it got dead because it was never pruned and over time it wasted away. We can be cut off or we can be pruned. Suddenly pruning seems a lot more attractive, wouldn't you agree? I think I'll go for the pruning option, please, if I may. I can't imagine, Lord, being cut off. Can you? Prune me, Lord. Do whatever it takes because I want to be all in. Who's ready to get pruned? Turn to the person next to you and on a scale of 1 to 10, give them the number of how excited you are about the prospect of pruning. 1 to 10. What I know about horticulture, I mean, I can't even spell it, but what I know about horticulture, you could write on half of a postage stamp. But, but I think I know a little bit about how God deals with us. So don't miss the point, because my horticulture is not on point, so to speak. When we prune something, we are aligning it for growth in order to make it more fruitful? Yes or no? Yes. We're all in. Good. On the basis that we want to be pruned rather than cut off, let's think about pruning. You see, pruning is positive. It's a sign that we are already fruitful. Those who are bearing fruit, he prunes that they might become more fruitful. This is really important, super important. God doesn't prune us because we failed. God's pruning us because we've already started bearing fruit. Great. He puts his finger on our lives that help us to align ourselves closer to him, which produces more fruit. Secondly, though, uh-oh, it's not a walk in the park. You see, pruning is painful. He, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No discipline, no sorting things out, no fixing things, no getting things right. Seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It hurts when we have to face up to things. It hurts to face up to things that we might see as harmless, but we know have got a hold on us. Many are trying to control their social media usage. It's painful the first few minutes, let alone hours, days and weeks, when you decide that you will not give it unlimited access to your life. It's painful when you have to face up to your anger or to your selfishness. Or to where you've been unkind or where you've held a grudge or nursed a wound. No one likes to be told the truth. 
It hurts. And that's why we often keep the truth sufficiently buried so that we don't see it, let alone anybody else. It's painful. Because the truth will hack you off before it sets you free. And that's what Jesus should have said. The truth will hack you off. It'll absolutely make you live it. I'm not like that. Remember what they said in the Old Testament story of David. You are that man. It'll hack you off before it sets you free. It's painful when we realize that we've created a faith in our own image. And not as Christ-like as we thought. The kind of pick and mix game that we play. I really like worship, so I'm going to come providing it's what I want. I love meeting with other Christians. And I love times of quiet and reflection. And I love engaging conversation about theological issues. But I'm less enthusiastic, quite frankly, about championing justice and befriending the poor. And making disciples and embracing hospitality. Facing up to these things hurts, doesn't it? Hello? It's painful. And all pruning, all pruning is painful. And, and I'm, I'm not a gardener. I mean, you didn't know that. I've covered it so far. Do you know? And I, I see pruning as quite a vicious activity. You know, you get the secateurs and you get out there in the garden and, you know, before you know it, there's like a massacre and most of the plant or the tree is just all over the, uh, the, the, the ground, you know? Um, And some of the areas of our lives are so tender and they're so raw and they've hurt us so much that the thought of someone, anyone, even God, coming along with some secateurs and hacking around in there is too hard for us to imagine. Hear me really carefully. It unlocks this whole passage. The root word to prune means to cleanse which also means to heal. God sometimes comes with a surgeon's knife, a secateur's for sure, and he gets in there and he whips some stuff out. But he also comes with a cleansing oil and a soothing balm. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The Lord is close, the Bible says, to the broken-hearted and saves, literally heals, cleanses, renews, restores those who are crushed in spirit. A surgeon's knife sometimes for sure, but often with cleansing oil or a soothing balm that we might be more fruitful. As I alluded to a moment ago, plants and trees look ridiculous, don't they, after pruning? Looks like there's been a massacre in the garden and everything's all over the the floor, like a hairy dog coming back after it shouldn't have been shaved. The plant just looks silly, it feels all wrong. The dog looks all naked and vulnerable. And that's how we can feel after pruning. It all feels a bit wrong. You feel laid bare, exposed, all vulnerable, trying to walk out, to live out some, something that's happened inside and make sense of it on the outside. We'll wobble and falter and fail and need to be encouraged and picked up. It's all part of the process. So why bother? Why put ourselves through pruning? It's not just because we don't want to be cut off. But it's because, thirdly, pruning is purposeful, wonderfully purposeful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, 
It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it, for those who've gone through it. Can you imagine in your life a harvest of living right and living at peace? It's what all of us, deep down, ever have desired. To live with a deep sense of peace and contentedness and to know that our lives are right. To know that our lives make sense of the big story of history. To know we are part of something bigger than ourselves. It's the thing that gives our life meaning and purpose. We long, all of us, to produce fruit that will last. To leave a legacy. To know that we were somebody and not a nobody. Which is why Jesus started his ministry saying exactly the same thing. As Barbara read to us, seek first the kingdom of God. Get that sorted out and everything else, all your deepest heart's desires, even the desires you do not understand and you cover them up with all kinds of shallow, superficial, worldly desires, all that God knows about us, all that will get added and sorted out unto you. Align yourself with him and the true desires of your hearts will be yours, which is what we read here in verse 3 of John chapter 15, if you've still got it open and haven't flipped onto Facebook or um, Instagram or something else because you got your tablet out, which proves the point about the social media, just as a little aside. Pruning is purposeful because it produces in us that for which we truly long, to bear fruit that will last. Here I go then, exposing my brief horticultural ignorance. Pruning deals with three things. Here they are, in my humble opinion. Foliage. Foliage. Which might look nice and pretty on your fruit tree, but in the end it inhibits the growth. So you prune it off. You might be tempted at the end of the season because the fruit tree looks nice with all the foliage on it to leave that foliage in place. But if you leave it there, you will have already decided that you are sending your tree into decline in terms of its fruit-bearing days. You might prefer not to have a tree in your back garden that looks naked and vulnerable and pathetic for a while. But if you do, you have already decided that its fruit-bearing capacity will be diminished in the season that is to come. Sick branches will drain the plant, but not produce any fruit. If you leave the sick branch, it will become more sick, and it will inhibit more of the plant, so less fruit will be produced. Dead branches, without being removed, will not give way so that new branches and new fruit can form. And I hope you can see the parallels already. Foliage. Where do we choose image over reality that needs to be pruned in our lives? You see, every time we do something to get ourselves noticed, have you ever done that? Have you ever acted in a way and said something and the subtext is, look at me? Come on, you lying lot. (laughs) You're talking about this over here, but I'm going to slip this part of the conversation in so that you learn something about me that's basically saying, look at me. Do you know what? That's just showing off. Like the foliage, it might look good, but it's not fruit-bearing. The parts that are sick in our lives need to be pruned too. Remember pruning, cleansed, healed. Hurts, wounds, brokenness, dysfunctions, fear, addictions. We are sick 
in countless ways. Sickness of heart. The dead parts, the parts locked in by sin need to be pruned pruned too. I guess that's more obvious. We kind of know that. That's what we think about. We might not do anything about it, but at least we know it. That was laced with sarcasm, just in case you didn't know it. All of this is why pruning is so powerful. When we abide in the vine, do we receive from Jesus all that we need? Or is he teasing us and only giving us a little bit? What do you think? I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine is perfect. As branches, we have everything that we need, right? So where does all that energy go? Have you ever wondered that? If you are in the vine and you are in Jesus, where the heck does all that energy go? Surely we should have fruit coming out of our ears, shouldn't we? If we were in the vine. It's like putting your fingers in 240 volt socket and not expecting anything to happen. You'd be fired up like a firework. Imagine the power of us all being plugged into the vine. Plugged into Jesus who opened blind eyes and called dead people back to life. That same power tracking through our veins. Can you imagine that for a moment? Man, we'd be on fire. We don't have energy to put this building in space. Let alone just sort it out a little bit. Where does all that energy go? Have you ever thought about that? Where where does all that energy go? Well, think about that foliage for a minute that needs pruning. All the energy that goes into image, looking right, or call it out for what it is, all all the effort we put into just showing off, making sure other people think better of us than perhaps we even think of ourselves, making sure we don't let the side down, keeping up appearances, making sure people think well of us, worrying about what the neighbours think, keeping up with the Joneses. Is that just a Welsh thing or do people say that in English? Someone tell me, yes or no? Do you say that in Suffolk, keeping up with the Joneses? Because it's easy in Suffolk, because there's hardly any. It's rock hard in Wales to be a Christian, if you've got to keep up with the Joneses. Because every other one is a Christian, is a, is a Jones. All that making sure you are seen in the right place and doing the right thing. And then there's social media. And that's not even half real. All of that stuff is absolutely exhausting. Where does much of the energy that Christ wants to work in us go? It goes into our foliage. Make, make some sense? Do you agree? Not sure? And that energy into our foliage and never reaches its fruit-bearing potential. Think about the energy that we lose when we carry a wound. What happens with that sickness of heart? What happens when we, what happens when we carry, when we're hurt and we nurse? You wouldn't believe what they said to me. You wouldn't believe what they've done to me. And we get resentful and bitter, which in turn turns the original wound infectious, 
which increases its effect on us and on everything. You can have an infected toenail or fingernail and it affects the whole of your day, doesn't it? It, You see everything through that pain. That's what happens when we get a wound that's undealt with, that gets infected. And that wound then requires more effort for us to nurse, more energy in protecting it, which makes us feel more bitter and more resentful because that person, look what they've done to me which makes it even more infectious, which takes even more energy. How much emotional energy does that all take, everybody? How much emotional energy does that all take? And the bigger the starting wound, the trauma, the abuse, then the bigger the energy drain. That's not rocket science, is it? And the thing about emotional energy... Emotional energy is sneaky. Why don't you say that to the person next to you just to break things up a bit. Emotional energy is sneaky. Do you know why it's sneaky? You've got no idea, have you, why it's sneaky? But you're very obedient, so well done. Emotional energy is sneaky because when it gets sucked out of you, it takes physical energy with it. Have you noticed that? That if you are emotionally drained, you feel like you've got no physical energy. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Is it easier to go to the gym when you're feeling really thrilled about yourself or when you're feeling rubbish about yourself? (laughs) Because emotional energy, I'm taking physical energy with me. And and you might be struggling with an emotional thing and you're exhausted and you'll say, I'm so tired today. Physically, you're not tired. You've done absolutely nothing but sit around and think. It's not physical energy, but your emotional energy is going, I'm going to have all of that as well, the greedy, gutsy thing. And we wonder where all the life-giving energy of Jesus has gone. It's gone into our wounds and our sicknesses and our brokenness and our addictions and our dysfunctions and, and all the rest. Imagine if all this energy-draining stuff could be pruned and cleansed and healed from our lives. How much more energy would we have? When God met me for the first time that I can remember in an emotional way, when God met me at the point of my emotions, it was utterly transforming. And I remember leaving that place as a young teenager and leaping over park benches. I had so much energy, I couldn't believe it. And my legs were about six inches long and I'm over the park benches. Why? Because when our emotions stop draining all that energy, there is so much that we get from the vine that bubbles up within us. Who believes that that could be so? This is a wonderful thing. I am the vine, you are the branches. See, suddenly pruning. Seems like an amazing gift from a loving father who's in. You know, sometimes you thought of pruning, oh, this is God, he's all just hacking me about and he just wants this, that. No, 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 no. Don't miss the heart of the father who is the gardener in these verses. A grace-filled act of a loving father gardener. And then, of course, the third thing that is pruned are the dead branches. Sin blocks the energy flow. You don't need to be a theologian to work that one out, really, do you? Sin produces guilt and shame. It robs us of peace. It disrupts our relationship with God and with others. It causes us to hide, cover things up. How much energy does all that take? You do something that's sinful and you've got a whole load of guilt and shame whirling around inside of you and it's taking up all your energy. It's taking physical energy with you. And then the person that you've sinned against, they've now got all that emotional energy whirling around in them and that emotional energy is taking their physical energy. It's why we all just go sometimes as Christians, uh, 
just exhausted by it all. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Once the energy that Christ pours in has been absorbed by all of this stuff, it's no wonder there's any energy left. Give yourselves a round of applause for getting into church this morning. We must be exhausted. Last bit of energy and I crawled my way in this morning. If I can make it home for Sunday lunch, God help us all. (sighs) I know. I don't have any big sins, though, some of you are thinking. I know. Yeah, you probably don't. But just on the off chance, let's take anger. There's a place for righteous anger. I've hardly ever seen it. Most anger is not righteous. It's a response to hurt, not getting our way, being misaligned, being misunderstood, a whole bunch of all sorts of stuff. There is a place for righteous anger, but usually even when you see a little glimpse of it, it's full of all that other muck as well. So Ephesians chapter 4 is really clear in its teaching. We haven't got time to really go there, but I'm just going to give you a a whistle-stop tour. Okay, you can be angry, but you mustn't sin. So you can be as angry as heck if you like, but you can't imagine that person on a pitchfork. Or dream about them falling off a cliff. Or delighting in their misfortune. You can be as angry and as mad as you want, as long as you can pray. Heaps of blessing on them. That's cool. First thing about anger. The, the second thing about anger is, is that if you, if you sin, you give the devil a foothold. So double trouble, right? You've got your own emotional stuff, sucking all the physical energy. And then you've got a demonic, a satanic pressure, a reality, a negative spirituality that takes root in your life. Now they're going to take some energy for doing good as well, aren't they? So you've got the physical going down the tube, the emotional going down the pan. You've got the demonic strongholds going, I'll have some of that. And, I've got nothing left. I can barely open my eyes. That's why you hit the snooze button multiple times every morning belly, breathe. The third thing about anger, third thing about anger, is it says, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. I mean, Kerry and I use that in marriage prep all the time. Don't go to bed angry. Instead, stay up and fight. (laughs) You can be as mad as you like, but you've got 24 hours. You read that stuff. You can be as mad as you like, but don't get to the end of the day without sorting it out. Because... That's giving the enemy a foothold. Now, I totally understand that anger takes more than a day to process. I didn't wake up yesterday. But that commitment to be dealing with it, to be sorting it out, is that you've got a 24-hour, and most of you aren't awake for 24 hours. Most of us are awake about three hours. So it means you've got three hours to sort it out before you pop off again. And you tune out. How much energy does all that take? On that basis, I think we might all have an anger issue. Wouldn't you agree? So let's go back to that thing. I'm not sure I've got any big sins. We have got probably one that drains the life out of us every day. Can you imagine how much energy that takes? If you know an angry person, you will know how many, because you'll see it, how much energy it takes. Something small happens, whoo! Flying off the handle and you're going, I don't understand, that was such a small thing. Well, it's not the thing that's made them angry. They're already really angry. It's just the thing, the little thing tapped into the big thing. And and you you see all the energy and the effort and the emotion that goes into them being angry. And you might feel quite smug. Well, I don't do that. I I don't lose my temper. A little bit of passive aggression, that's fine, isn't it? But apart from that, 
I'm always sweetness and light. Hey, do you know what? I suspect that being angry and trying to keep a lid on it takes more energy than the people that blow their top. Now there's a thought. I'm not suggesting you should blow your top. That causes destruction. It's evil. It's wrong. It damages relationships and stuff. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But there's an energy issue, an anger issue to deal with. Imagine being pruned, cleaned, and healed of all that emotion. We'd be able to put a rocket in space just by our breath, wouldn't we? There's one other example I feel um, prompted to share with you. It's about being shy. Shyness can drain the energy for fruit-bearing. Hey, hang on about. I'm, I'm naturally shy, I hear you say. Let me tell you about me. I think I'm naturally shy. And I, I know you don't understand that in this context, but it's not this context that we're generally talking about. Shyness is something that God has to continually prune in me. Otherwise, fruit-bearing energy potential, boop, out the window. As a child, my face was disfigured a lot worse than perhaps it appears to be now. So I, I as a child, in, in addition to this natural sense of um, shyness, I, I was always on the outside. I was different. I was uh, always struggling to fit in, to be accepted, to feel uh, normal, if you like, which reinforced that shyness. So it was super easy for me. And we learn it quickly, our coping mechanisms, our defenses, don't we? You learn it just like that, almost overnight, super easy. I could build a construct that protects me, that protects me from the rejection I experience and the rejection I believe I might experience. I don't even want to take the risk. Who's with me? And so I protect myself. Is that a sin? Yeah. Listen, is that a sin? Yeah. It begins with a wrong attitude that says, I don't fit in. I'm not accepted. I'm not enough. I'm an imposter. I'm not likable. Can you hear that? How offensive is that to God? That I might say to this God who loves me with all of his being, who sent his son to die for me, who made me this image. I'm not lovable. I'm not likable. I'm not acceptable enough. And we wonder whether it's a sin and we wonder whether it offends him. It grieves his heart. Imagine one of your kids around the table. Do you know you're chopping into your beans on toast at night? One of your kids looks at you wide-eyed and says, I don't think I'm enough. Wouldn't that break your heart? No, honestly, come on, I need more than that. Wouldn't that break your heart? I'm not enough. What? How do we get in this sick mess? I'm not enough. Without Jesus, of course I'm not enough. But that feeling, I'm not enough, I'm not... not, You get where I'm going. And our attitude... Leads to anxiety. So the attitude of, I'm not enough, will I fit in, I'm always on the outside, leads to, well, I, well, I won't fit in, and I, I won't be accepted, and I won't be enough, and I, I will be an imposter. And that attitude then leads to the action of going, I'll keep away, I'll retreat, I'll hide, and all my energy could be absorbed by that, and that's me without any pruning. And you can't love people, and you can't disciple people, and you can't uh, build community and relationships and produce fruit that will last if you keep away, hide away, and accept attitudes for yourself that, quite frankly, are contrary to what the Bible says about us and God has made so clear about us. Who's with me? And it doesn't matter what it is. Your thing might not be shyness. You might be as bold as brass, and we all duck when you come. But whatever it is, 
The wrong attitude leads to the wrong kind of anxiety that leads to the wrong action, that leads to the reinforces the wrong attitude, that leads to the wrong anxiety, that leads to the wrong... And that's a vortex. Is that what you call it when it goes round? That vo- All that goodness from Jesus gets sucked into that vortex. And we wonder why we haven't got any energy for fruit bearing. Imagine if we could be more released from all this stuff, the obsession with image, the sickness of heart, the sin in our lives. Imagine if we could be pruned and cleansed and healed. That's why prayer ministry has been one of the most powerful things in the life of this church. It's not the prayer ministry does anything. God does the pruning. That's very clear in John chapter 15. But he needs us to be available. What he doesn't do is come into the garden of our lives with his secateurs looking to where he's going to meddle. He waits to be invited. One of the geniuses about that particular ministry in the life of our church is it creates opportunity for people to invite him. Pruning is painful. You've got the idea, haven't you? But honestly... Wait till you see the power that gets released. Pruning also, just by the way, just as an aside, is prayer answering. Don't tell everyone, don't tell every Christian this. They'll all be getting their prayers answered. But you might like to get some of yours answered. Pruning is prayer answering. You heard it here first. Lastly though, pruning is God's parental love. It's because he loves us. Isn't that cool? Because he loves us. Because it hurts him to see us as we are. Because he knows all that we could be. So God's longing to prune us, which means he's always trying to get our attention. He's always trying to put his finger on something. And God will use all kinds of things, even trials and tribulations. He longs for a world that's free from all those things. He promises us a new day when all those things will be passed. But whilst they're here, he will use even those things to grab our attention. And and do you know what? We hate, and this is why we put up our, our resistance all the time, we hate people pointing out what's wrong with us, don't we? Who loves it when someone comes along and says, nah. We hate that with an absolute passion. And we hate it with a passion because usually it's more about the other person. They have too much delight in telling us what's wrong with us. It makes them feel a little bit better by pushing us a little bit down. It gives them a certain sense of pleasure that perhaps they're not the only ones screwing up. And it's, and we hate it. And so we've learned to resist anyone and everyone who wants to tell us something. I'll tell you the truth in love. Duck, it's coming. Do you know? Whack. If you have to say that, you've lost the plot, my friends. Oh, I'm telling this because I love you. Who, who are you trying to convince The Bible says there's absolutely no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He never comes to us to point out what's wrong to make himself feel better. He never puts us down to lift himself up. It's always because he wants to rescue us from where we need rescuing. In our lives. And so we have a word, it's called conviction. It's not condemnation, it's conviction. God's Holy Spirit never condemns. It's a a clear way to understand whether God's speaking to you, but He comes to convict, to gently show us where He needs to work, where He needs to prune. So, what is God putting His 
finger on? Where is the heavenly gardener wanting to prune, to cleanse and heal? We're going to have two minutes of absolute silence. Let's try and remain still. If you really need to move, you can, but two minutes. Where is the Spirit of God speaking to you today? It's the love of a father. Don't resist it. Don't put the barriers up. Don't reject it. It's, it's because he loves you. He doesn't want you to stay in it. He wants to free you from it. What box of emotions might he be asking you to open? It's not because he wants it all to spill out and you to feel awful about yourself, but he wants to get all that out that fresh energy might flow. Two minutes. I'm going to ask you in a moment, if you know that God's putting his finger on something, and remember, that's a sign you're on the winning team. That's a a sign that you're already fruitful and he longs to make you more fruitful. He prunes not out of failure, but out of fruit bearing. Just going to ask you to stand. You won't have to talk to anyone or say anything. And I'm going to ask the people that are around you as you stand just to pray for you. They won't talk to you or say anything. Hopefully they'll pray out loud. But we use this moment to take seriously. We want God to prune us that we might bear more fruit. We need all that energy sapping rubbish in our lives cleared out the way. So if you know God speaking to you, would you stand? And so just pray. Gather, gather around the folk. Don't go any nearer. Be mindful of space and people's anxiety. But those of you who are sitting down, start praying for those that you can see around you. Visualize one person, a couple of people. Start praying. And pray out loud under your breath. Just create a little, little cacophony of prayer so everybody can be heard and nobody can be heard. 
Let's lift our voices. Lord, we pray for those who are standing right now in the name of Jesus. May your spirit's power come in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're a gracious God. You highlight things in our lives to meet with us, to change us, to deal with us. Because you're longing to prune us. You're longing to work in our lives. Ah, Jesus. We open our hearts to you, Lord. We open our hearts to you, Jesus. We open our hearts to you, Lord. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We open our hearts to you, Lord. Praise Spirit, Lord Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus comes in grace and love into our, into our lives and we receive from him. We have faith for one another. Maybe what you can't believe God would do for you, the person next to you can believe. Sometimes it's easier to trust for someone else, isn't it? And believe that God can do. We might feel all a bit naked and vulnerable. But God's doing something new. God's doing something wonderful and beautiful in our lives. That we might bear fruit. That in the end it's what we all, it's what we all long for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your work here.